Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Games, changes, and fears. When will they go from here? When will they stop? In the late 90s and early 2000s, a raspy-voiced jazz singer released an R&B-infused pop song that was an instant classic. We're joined by Fright School's Joshua Napier to try to figure out how it's possible that someone with such a unique voice and a strong back catalog never had another mainstream success again. So Joshua, you chose Macy Gray, I Try. And one thing that I'll say is I can't believe until preparation for this episode that I never dove deeper into Macy Gray's catalog for how amazing this song is. Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, well, well, I guess we'll get to that. You know, what we what you think of her other music. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I love this song. Uh, it was such a big part of my freshman year. <laughs> yeah. So so were you a fan of her more than just this song or, or were you like me and just knew this song? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, this song was the introduction, obviously, for all of us. But I got the record. I loved that on How Life Is. I listened to that probably my entire 
freshman year just over and over again i i really really enjoyed that record and then i followed her subsequent two records and then i check in she's like somebody i just check in right see what she's doing like i just found out she did a stevie wonder cover record yeah. so it's like oh wow i didn't even know about that so now i have to sit down and listen to that uh, she did a cover record a few years ago that i really enjoyed uh, some of her takes on uh, on classic songs so yeah i'm definitely a fan but this album was definitely the you know, it's still like when I look at my playlist of my favorite Macy Gray songs, it's like this entire album and then like one or two songs from <laughs> everything else. Yeah, <laughs> the cover albums are amazing. She did a cover of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Maps, which is such a strange cover. The tempo speeds up and slows down dramatically. <laughs> but as far as this song, just reading the lyrics to it give me chills. We actually just recorded an episode about Patrick Swayze, She's Like the Wind, and reading the lyrics were like, this is <laughs> this is so ridiculous. But these <laughs> lyrics, I mean, especially the chorus, I try to say goodbye and I choke, try to walk away and I stumble. Though I try to hide it, it's clear. My world crumbles when you are not near is just so amazing. Who cannot relate to that? It's just beautiful. It makes you, it just gives me chills just, just reading it and pair that with her such a unique voice who else has a voice like this that uh, that's why i can't believe that we're that she's a one-hit wonder but she she is like why yeah it shocked me when i went to look because i had i had pitched another artist that i thought was a one-hit wonder and then when i looked at their actual charting i'm like oh my gosh they had a bunch of charting hits so then it was like well, Mesa Gray was on like a list, like a 25, whatever billboard one hit wonder, some article. And I was like, what? No. And then I went and looked at like her charts. And I was like, really? There's no other like charting, at least top 10 singles, like nothing. And let's talk about real quick the, the artist that you had picked, because we actually made a reference to him in an earlier episode. And I didn't want to say anything about it. But oh. I mean, <laughs> you sent me down a really weird spiral. So I do want to at least talk about this artist that that has apparently hits for days. But who was it you were originally going to pick? So it was the band uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, uh, which in its most famous iteration had Dennis LeCourier as the singer and Ray Sawyer. And so they were like this 70s, weird 70s band that like Shel Silverstein wrote all the lyrics for one of their albums. Lots of filthy songs. But their big hit that ev- most everybody knows is Sylvia's Mother, which was covered by Bon Jovi. And you know, lots, lots of people have covered that song. You know, so I thought that that was like a one hit wonder. But they did all these like songs once they like kind of survived that early 60s, 70s country, folky rock that they were doing to make like disco albums. And so they have like all these disco hits like Sexy Eyes, which was used in a cat food commercial just a few years ago. Um, When You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman. Like they just had all these hits that I had no idea were actual like chart, like top 10, like (laughs) US chart hits. (laughs) Uh, They were just always this weird band my mom played around the house that I loved. I loved, again, a very strange voice. Yeah, Uh, it's cool when someone has such an original, unique voice. We talked about some bands on here where there's a lot of bands that have this 90s male alternative voice that's the same um, across like 50 different bands. And I always wonder like, how did this even stick out to people but macy gray i don't think anybody sounds like macy gray and to her credit even though she apparently didn't have any other hits she has a lot of albums and has apparently even though i haven't been listening to them until preparation for this episode and i will continue to listen to her after this which is a good thing she's had a long career she's been successful yeah which it made me wonder like was there 
maybe some personal life stuff going? I didn't see anything about it. Was there some personal life stuff going on that like held her back? I see no reason why she shouldn't have had 10 hits based on the fact that people wanted to have her voice singing songs, even if it was songs that she didn't write. Like we were talking about how she did a Stevie Wonder cover album and she did just a an album of covers where she did radiohead creep she did that uh maps here comes the rain again yeah smoke two joints which was very cool <laughs> yeah so oh yes yeah, smoke two joints <laughs> yeah i'm surprised that not even a cover with her singing it maybe her voice is just too out there for mainstream maybe that's what it you was. you know i don't know to talk a little bit about that because that's actually really how i got into her i remember so the single for this was actually released in the united states in like january of 2000 so i think that's when the video hit which was like vh1 cardio is what <laughs> I, we would watch every morning while we're getting ready for school and that year for some reason i decided i would start gelling my hair it was short and so i would do the messy oh, yeah. gel thing so i was in the bathroom doing my hair and all of a sudden i heard her voice from the living room and I just ran in because I was like, who the fuck is that? Like I had like I just had to know, you know, and then I just sat there staring at this video and like, my, like, I just remember it so clearly. Yeah. And that was the same. That was the first year I discovered like Janis Joplin. I was a big Melissa Etheridge fan. Now I love like Billie Holiday and those kind. I just love like an odd voice. It just pulled me. You know what? I didn't even really think about this, but I think that there is a direct line from like Macy Gray, Macy Gray coming in and kind of doing like this jazz mix with pop that is like an absolute through line to how we get a Nora Jones, how we get an Adele, how we get like these pop stars that have a very jazz based vibe to their presentation because I can't think of anyone else who was doing it before Macy Gray came out. Yeah, not the, you know, who, who wasn't part of that era, you know. I, I'm not sure, but I, I just know that I I loved her voice. I like the sound. I love like that bluesy kind of sound. I mean, the, the album is very diverse. You know, there are songs that are kind of 70s feeling. There's pop. There's, you know, I mean, it's kind of all over the place. I think that's a good point. She also has that iconic rasp. You can't yeah. you can't teach a rasp. You either have it or you don't. You sound <laughs> that that voice that sounds like you smoke two packs a day. And you know, I've even known people that have tried. Like I gotta start smoking. I gotta get <laughs> gotta get that rasp, that grit. That it's emotional. It's just you hear her voice, and there's just so much emotion behind it and then it makes the lyrics believable it makes the it sells the song i mean for for me anyway i think that there's an element of when you have a voice like that the example i always use when johnny cash covered in my life by the beatles like that cover i love that beatles song but hearing like 90 something year old johnny cash singing about the places and the people he'll remember is so much more impactful so there's something about like the sound of someone's voice when you hear macy gray sing that chorus because of that raspy voice it really does feel like she is like on the verge of tears singing it because of that tone in her voice where i think someone singing it with like a very clean pitch perfect sound it wouldn't have worked it wouldn't have had it wouldn't have the impact of that raspy voice yeah, singing those lyrics the depth. i have no idea how old macy gray was when this song came out i have no idea how old she is now I've seen her current albums and her first album, and she looks like she hasn't aged a year <laughs> in that in that entire time. She's ageless. And yeah, she does sound, I would guess that she was probably in her 20s 
On, yeah, but it sounds uh, like it, she's been through some shit yeah, when she sings it. it like. She sounds like very mature. She sounds, and once again, it's the tone of her voice, it's the grit of her voice, and it's the emotional delivery. But yeah, she's a generational talent for sure. Uh, Matt, you told me before we started recording the story behind how she got her start, which I thought was yes so so first of all joshua did you know that she's from ohio originally yeah Yeah. okay i was gonna say you're you're an ohio kid (laughs) so she went to the university of southern california to pursue a career in script writing and a friend of hers in college who was doing music as a focus had someone that they wanted to record some demos and they wanted macy gray to write the songs for these demos so Macy Gray wrote all these songs and shows up and the person who was supposed to record the demos just no-showed. So they just were like, well, you wrote the songs, just get in the booth and sing them. And she had no aspirations of doing music at this point. And basically just as soon as they heard that voice, were just like, yo, <laughs> this is what we need to be shopping around. I mean, to, to write something this timeless. I mean, this song sounds timeless. I can't imagine there is... I mean, yeah, you got to give partial credit to whoever the players were on the song and who produced it, which I, I don't know the answer to either of those. But her vocal delivery, the lyrics, the, the song itself, I mean, I imagine this song's going to be good 100 years from now. So that's a pretty impressive thing to do. It's pretty impressive, especially for someone that didn't even plan to be a singer. I do think she's a heavy cannabis user, or at least was. So okay. it's also, you know, that kind of rasp can come in a little bit. But I mean, I think it's naturally there. Right. Kind of the Billie Holiday sound that over the years has really roughened up even more. Her brother was on an episode of Queer Eye last year. Oh. When they did their season in Philadelphia, he hired the Fab Five to help him set up his gym. And they came in and they're like, he's got a bunch of framed Macy Gray records on the wall. <laughs> and they asked him, they're like, are you just like a big fan of Macy Gray? He's like, oh, that's my sister. <laughs> that's sweet though. What did he need? Was his fashion that bad? What, what was No, wrong? no, no. So so with the new, the season of Queer Eye that's on Netflix, it's a lot less about fashion stuff, which is why I love it so much. And it's literally people, they come in and they'll like, fix up someone's house or they'll fix up their business or they'll like teach them how to cook or they'll help them get back into the dating scene. Like it's, Mm. it's more of like life therapy. As a guy who got sucked into a 90 day fiance, it's good to know there's some good reality TV out there (laughs) and not just, not just pure garbage. A post hit fact that Matt, you supplied me with that I would really like to get into for a second here is in 2001 at the peak of, I tries popularity. Macy Gray performed the national anthem at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and she forgot the lyrics, and she got booed. But I will say that the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, is one of the worst songs ever written. And I don't blame Macy Gray one bit for forgetting the words to it, because I'm not, once again, not saying anything bad about the United States or whatever, What? but the song itself terrible song it is a terrible song i've said a million and one times i have no interest in standing for the star spangled banner or the national anthem but if you play me ray charles's version of america the beautiful that's like the one song where i'm like you know what america's a-okay but it's gotta be the ray charles version specifically for me like (laughs) you know what ray america is beautiful i mean (laughs) if if whitney houston singing Star Spangled Banner, okay. Also, Won't Back Down, as you've proposed. Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, also a really great option. Yes, yeah, that would be a good one. <laughs> so Macy Gray was up for Song of the Year and Record of the Year at the Grammys. 
and lost to YouTube Beautiful Day in both categories, which I don't know about that. I checked the other nominees as well. It should have been Macy Gray. Like, it was like that one song, I Hope You Dance, was in the running for oh. Song of the Year. Which is, I mean, I enjoy that song. I think I Try is a better song. Bye 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 by NSYNC was in both categories, I think, for both song and record of the year. But, I mean... Macy Gray, I Try Over Beautiful Day by U2 is a pretty easy decision in my eyes. That's so interesting. You know, I knew she won a Grammy. I guess I always assumed it was for that, but it was just best female pop vocal performance. Which, I mean, who else could have taken that award that year? I guess Madonna would have been up for music, I think, right? I don't know who else. Because I remember that firmly. I remember that I, I had that on tape for years, VHS tape, the 2001 Grammy Awards, because Madonna opened the show with music, Macy Gray performed, and Jill Scott, Moby and Blue Man Group did this mind-blowing version of Natural Blues. If you've never seen it, you have to look it up on YouTube. It's incredible. And so I kept that on tape for years and watched it because it was just, that performance alone was incredible. It was just, I I can't explain it. It was beautiful. (laughs) Good YouTube. And I love that video because I think Christina Ricci was in that. So I was aware of the song. And so to hear it like, be done in such this majestic way so what she was up against was christina aguilera what a girl wants madonna music amy mann save me Joni mitchell both sides now and britney spears oops i did it again oh i mean i and that's i mean i think that's tough competition but i also think that there is one voice in there that directly stands out amongst the crowd and it's definitely macy gray you know i mean like this was at the point where christina and britney were kind of still a little interchangeable i think over time their voices became very distinctly different but that was definitely when it was like let's try to make these two sound as similar as possible and build a fake feud for for people to pick teams i was still stuck in lilith fair so i didn't pay attention to any of those girls for me it was still sarah mclaughlin alanis morissette those are the people i was following in the mesa gray madonna always because god save the queen or whatever the hell we're supposed to say um <laughs> you were still big on madonna in the music music era i feel i fell off on madonna at that point i actually think mu- i would rank music as one of my top five favorite Madonna singles, honestly. I really wow. like that song. That's bold, Matt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was high school. You know, I remember when Don't Tell Me came out and being obsessed with that song. I don't know. I just always have felt kind of a deference to Madonna. It's like kind of, I had my mother who had me very young. She had me at 15. So like, so for most of my life, until I moved out of the house, my mother was in the demographic for music. Mm-hmm. You know, so we listened to all the popular stuff. Like she went out to clubs and brought music home. Like she was very into music. So I kind of stayed plugged in that way. And so it was like my mom. And then it was like Melissa Etheridge and Madonna were like spiritual mothers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just always have this deference to being like Madonna is one of the first people early in my life that was like gay people are cool. So like having that and then seeing a bona fide gay rock star you know, come out and be, you know, have, you know, a 6 million selling record and blah, blah, blah. It was just, you know, it's just like, I still, I will always have kind of a, a special place for Madonna. She's kind of like a drunk aunt some days that you want to be like, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, her, RuPaul, Dan Savage, Janine Garofalo. It's like, drag ourselves and our politics out of the 90s, please. But I still, you know, yeah, I will always listen to anything Madonna puts out because I just feel a a deference to her but anyways the point was yeah i britney spears and christina aguilera were completely just like insane backstreet boys 98 degrees they're all the same I, if you mixed them all up i'd have no idea how to put them like who was what because i was still 
listening to that. That year, also, I was really into Cindy Lauper's "She's So Unusual." Hell I bought yeah. that record for the, which is a killer album. So I was just way lost in the decades before, you know. <laughs> you know what? This is again. Every once in a while, if we talk about an artist that has had a million hits. I always like to take a chance to go on a little tangent about it because like when else are we going to get to talk about Cindy Lauper? But like Cindy mm. Lauper obviously also fits in with like artists with a very distinct, unique singing voice. Perfect example. Definitely. Perfect example. Like yeah. I would think you talk about three lines, Matt, and direct whatever direct link. I think Cindy Lauper may have been a direct link to Macy Gray. You know, the, these like <laughs> such unique voices. Nobody else sounds like them. I love Cindy Lauper. Yeah, she's another one who it just her voice is incredible. And if you've ever seen her live, I've seen her a bunch of times because, yeah, I'm a, I, I love Cindy Lauper. And it just you just stand there like, wow, like she just has kept her voice in such great condition. Uh, and she just sounds incredible, even now, where, you know, usually it's like, oh, women's voices get deeper as they age, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, Cindy Lauper is the same voice she had at 30 when she made that record. She had a very unfortunate end of 2020 with the New Year's performance. But I yes. I blame that on trying to perform in any outdoor setting, especially if you don't like like she kept reaching for her ear, which to me, like as me watching, I'm yeah. like, she can't hear herself in the monitor. I think if anybody, if you're not a singer, like you just don't really know, you know, like I once played this club where for some unfathomable reason, they had installed an air conditioner right above the stage that they had on blowing right into my face. <laughs> I'm like, what? And your whole vocal, everything just like tightens up. It's like you couldn't sing anything. It was awful. I'm like, can we turn this off? Oh, no, it's hot in the club. I'm like, oh, my God, nobody can sing. So, yeah, I just <laughs> I, I feel terrible for, for anybody in that situation. Melissa's played that at like 1 o'clock in the morning in New York. It's like it's freezing. Like nobody sounds good. It, you know, it's just, yeah, it's terrible, which is why they lip sync. But then you get in trouble for that. I, when you talk about Cindy Lauper, I thought you were going to bring up the Goonies are good enough, which is. I'm not making fun of it. That is an absolute jam. She doesn't say Goonies in it. Well, they forced her. They like, yeah. they for, it was the song was called Good Enough yeah. and they kind of forced it in there. And that was a whole, like Cindy Lauper is, you should read her memoir because she's, oh man, that girl's drama. Like <laughs> I love her a lot, but I would never want to work with her because she just sounds kind of, you know, I mean, uh, to be fair, like Steven Spielberg was like, well, we're going to do your music video with a green screen. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, so like I get why she pushed back, but that whole thing was such a disaster. Uh, but it is a good song, but she wouldn't sing it for years and years because of all the drama, but now she does. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. 
The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. You know, Matt, speaking of I Try by Macy Gray, is there anything that you're constantly trying? I do try to keep my balls as smooth as possible. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well, hey, guess what, man? There's a simple solution to that. Have you tried Manscaped? Actually, I haven't. Well then, you are in luck because One Hit Thunder is being sponsored by Manscaped, who have made men's grooming so easy and simple. I've heard that. In fact, I saw that Manscaped offers provision-engineered tools for your family jewels. In fact, Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. That's right, Matt. I actually have one. It's charging up in my bathroom right now. It is an absolute joy to use. So you, Matt, can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. You can get 20% off and free shipping. Did you hear what I said, Matt? 20% off and free shipping with the code CRAZYTOWN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code CRAZYTOWN. That will get you that deal. And that will also let them know that we sent you. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, now that I look fly for a shaved guy, let's get back to Macy Gray's I Try. So, Macy Gray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all, I'm a, <laughs> so, as far as what was going on when I Try hit... Uh, the number one song right there was Santana Maria Maria, which I don't even know that one. How is that a number one song that I'm not? How am I you, not thinking of what that you, is? You know uh, that one. And then it's got yeah, like, a, yeah. it's the one I've talked about it before. It's the one where the guitar riff is Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. It's that. Huh. Da, 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 da. I think Wyclef Jean produced it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know it. I know. It's a guitar played by Carlos Santana. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I got it. I got it. Okay, that was the number one song. Breathe by Faith Hill was in the Breathe charts. Breathe by Faith Hill. Ugh, yeah. The Thong Song. <laughs> the Thong Song, which we've already done an episode about. Vertical Horizon, Everything You Want at that time. Which, oh, God. It was it. That song. <laughs> That song. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I have weird like memories associated with that song wrapped up in queerness and other stuff. But yeah, anyways, I can't listen to it. It just it takes me to a backseat of a car in my uh, freshman year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes me to every teen sex flick of the early 2000s that right. that used it. Uh, every mm-hmm. horny teen movie. Right before she takes her glasses off and everybody realizes she's hot or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Definitely. That band also came to my, I I went to Duquesne University and not a lot of like, you know, you have like a spring fling or something where some, some band comes through and plays. Vertical Horizon was who came and played. I didn't even, I don't even think I knew everything I want when they came. I was like, who is this? That's what I know about them. But in general, you know, that year, so we're talking 2000, other songs around that, you know, Bon Jovi, It's My Life hit, Robbie Williams, Rock DJ. Creed with arms wide open and 
a total jam that really takes me back to that time because yeah, in 2000, I wasn't old enough to drink in the United States yet. So for New Year's, went to Canada because uh, you could drink at 19 in Canada and Daft Punk one more time will always rem- remind me oh, yeah. of that New Year's, which I love that song. So there's a song on there that I put down because it was actually one of the best selling singles of the entire year. And I was like, I have never even heard of this song. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh, yeah, this song was everywhere. The core is breathless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That seems borderline Lil- Lilith Fair. Were they, were they Lilith Fair? I don't think the chorus were at Lilith. <laughs> they Fair were just at Lilith so so. <laughs> Adorable. Did you did you actually attend a Lilith Fair or did you just enjoy the no, artist? No, it was the only thing I wanted to do my like 13, 12 and 13 like year summers, yeah, yeah. you know, and nobody would take me. Damn. One because that's where lesbians would go, so, you know, and you're a boy, so why would you want to do that? You know, but I was that those summers like 96 97 it was all about Alanis, Paula Cole, Natalie Merchant, yeah. Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> like yeah. I was just total and still those are all women I still follow. I see their live shows anytime they come just, to San Diego say, or Los I, Angeles. I feel like you won out. You didn't get to go to Lilith Fair, but like Melissa Etheridge knows you by name. <laughs> like It's true. Is that true? Whoa. That is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Um we've we've hung out and played guitar together on her cruise. We smoked a joint together. Nice. <laughs> She's super cool. She's super chill. I don't have like a, you know, I don't say we're friends because that's weird because I pay to get into shows. So, you know, but we definitely have a cool thing. We have a cool fan idol. She's just everything you would want in an idol. That's great. You know, she's super cool. I think that's a bigger win than getting to see Lilith Fair as a kid. I think I think if you had to choose between the two. Yeah. And Melissa was never at Lilith Fair, which is kind of shocking. Yeah. I'm surprised she never did that. Yeah. No way. She didn't. No way. I thought that she was the one that created it. I thought that she... No, Sarah. Sarah created it. To the best of my knowledge, she never played... That's amazing. Um, I had no yeah. clue. I think she... In, in that time, she didn't want to be associated with that sound because that's really not her sound. I mean, no. she's much more rock and blues. I was going to say... And so I think she didn't want to get looped in with like the Indigo Girls people. That's the know, other one go, I always oh, think Oh, she's of. like that. Yeah. She plays acoustic guitar on stage. It's like, no. Man. You know, so I think she just kind of wanted to distance from that. Indigo Girls takes me back because, man, there was a summer where yeah. I felt like every 30 minutes that least complicated song came on and I just loved it more and more with every listen. I was like, this song is yeah. so good. <laughs> and like, I never got yeah. into their other stuff, but that hardest to learn was the least complicated song was a fucking banger to me. No, they're of course they're awesome too. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was just that it was a great time for women in music and uh, for little uh, lesbros growing up in Ohio. Um. <laughs> so another thing about Macy Gray, that's kind of fun is like singer. Really good at it. Actress, pretty damn good at it too, actually. Yeah, I loved her in Domino. Yeah. I love that movie. But also, apparently, pretty damn good poker player came in third place in the eighth season of Celebrity Poker when she was playing to raise money for Habitat for Humanity. All around, everything about Macy Gray makes it seem like she's just kind of a cool down-to-earth person, all things considered. Honestly, I think she did the ultimate thing you could do do when you have a hit is it looks like she's had a, a long career yeah. and was and, and it's still successful and just because you don't have another hit doesn't mean you can't be have a long successful fruitful career like that that would be the ultimate thing to do like i would almost rather have what 
she apparently has what I'm assuming she has based on her body of work since then, then have just like a second hit and then be gone. You know, I, I think that that that's way better. I mean, it's kind of like along the lines of like what Ben folds, you know, uh, who's one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Brick was his huge hit. Maybe army was a minor hit, but he's had a gigantic, long, awesome career. And it was brick that maybe was the, spark that lit that giant career you know so uh, that that's the ultimate thing that i think a one hit wonder can do because someone who successfully parlays that one hit into s- true success people probably don't even think of as a one hit wonder like when you tell me the mighty mighty bostons are a one hit wonder and i'm like that's like a legendary band who's put out like so many great songs and albums, but no, they only had one. hit. Yeah. Cause that's all you need to like sustain a fandom, you know? I mean, I would kill just to have one hit. I mean, I know people, obviously they right. want, they're artists and they want to make music and they want to, you know, be successful. But it's like, if you could play music every night until you die for an audience that loves your music, even if the, and, and the people that come just to hear those couple songs, you put them at the end, they got to listen to everything else. Maybe you'll win them over right. and then you do your big hit. And Hey, yeah, you were here for two hours that there has to be some, piece in that sustainability of like just knowing like i don't even need a freaking hit you know like fleetwood mac when was the last time they had a hit they just have to go out on the road i mean they're not a one-hit wonder but i just mean knowing that you don't even need to put out new music and could just i'm just gonna go play 20 shows across europe for fun because i'm bored and people will pay tickets it will buy tickets yeah awesome based on one song you wrote 30 years ago and sometimes you get respect of other artists people just like you you know i mean there just opens up a lot of opportunities just having that one thing you know and if you stay cool and chill like macy seems to be like hey you know you just kind of sustain a career on that i I don't think there's anything wrong with that there's a lot of luck and a lot of gatekeepers involved in having a hit you know i'm sure i'm sure that every year the songs that are hit songs are nowhere near the actual best songs of that year the best or most unique or most original or just best written songs it's just probably the most marketable songs sometimes things cut through sometimes the cream rises to to the top but not always well so and that's the thing sometimes you don't even know because i think when you look at like big hit songs like this i try i think macy fought for it not to be a single uh dancing in the dark by uh, springsteen was like a joke that he wrote just to be like fuck you like i don't i'm not churning out hits melissa didn't want to put come to my window out or on the record at all you know so you just never know what's going to happen like there's just no real formula yeah so as far as macy gray goes we gotta decide did macy gray bring the one hit thunder or was she a one hit blunder and i don't even (laughs) i don't know if we even need to to, we even need to say i think i think it's pretty obvious that we're uh we're fans always been a fan of the song since it was out but in preparation for this episode i'm like oh why didn't i maybe i just needed to be reminded and maybe the listeners need to be reminded like hey dig into macy gray she's great no it was a total fun like project to go back and listen to that that entire album a couple times again just to kind of refamiliarize why i loved it and um and then listen to her other hits i'm like oh gosh it just brought me back like she's she's so good so i'm reinvigorated as a fan now <laughs> yeah so is this a co- it's a collective thunder yep. from us yeah right? three thunders we, we give it go macy three thunders <laughs> yeah hell yeah and, be- and before we go do you do, uh, you want to talk about Fright School for a second? Oh, <laughs> sure. We had we had Joe on to talk about it, but from your perspective, you you are the fan of of horror movies. Yeah, you are the then, titular Fright School. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're uh, the you're the professor of fright. Yeah. That there we go. That's sort of the idea. Yeah. So Joe and I, you know, it just kind of came out of you know this weird space of like we were watching American Horror Story and it was with a bunch of other you know horror fans and they're all talking about like oh gosh that reminds me of this movie and that movie and this movie and he goes oh I've never seen Halloween oh I've never seen The Exorcist oh I've never seen Carrie and I was just like what so <laughs> that's how the podcast came about we watch a horror movie uh, the first season is kind of about classics and building this like historical narrative of horror in America to give him a foundation to apply now to the hundred plus movies we've watched over 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 time. And yeah, just it's super fun. It's something I'm very interested in about cultural anxiety of horror, uh, you know, kind of these approaches of like the academics of horror, but try to be a lot more fun than that sounds. (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) it's interesting to think about why do we like, I mean, I like watching horror movies, good ones. I like, I like a well done horror movie. But but what does that mean, you know? (laughs) I mean, for me, you know, I'm I'm, okay. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know. There's a lot of schlocky horror movies out there where you're like, oh, this is just stupid. But like a movie that actually fills you with terror. And why Why do we like to feel that? Like, right. I, I mean, I like to feel that. I like to see a good movie that actually scares me. And it's only, hap- it's only happened a handful of times where I'm like, oh, shit, that was actually scary. We were just talking about this last night about American Horror Story, too, which I like the first season. Second season's okay. Then after that, they lost me at Coven. Coven, they, they, they lost me. I was just like, no, this is too silly. But I think that a, a big element for me is there can't, and this might be a controversial thing to say, and maybe I'm wrong on this because I love Hereditary and, you know, there's a few noteworthy actors in that, but usually it takes me not knowing who the actors and actresses are. <laughs> yeah. Familiarity. Yeah. 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 And then there's but, me uh, on my side where it's just like, give me all of the schlock. Like, <laughs> What is yeah. what is the cheesiest, lamest thing that you can throw my way? I want to see, I want to see someone swing an axe at a human being and then split in twine in, the, in front of me. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's been part of my journey with Fright School. Is kind of is letting go of some of my like elitist views of horror. You know, of what is good, what is bad. You know, because it's like if it serves a purpose, if it creates this conversation, if it create, if it, if it allows. Um, you know, like, for instance, so I'm a psych major, um, I want to be a therapist. Uh, so I, I do a lot of like, you know, studying around anxiety and, and anxiety disorders. So like, horror as like an avenue for processing anxiety. So people with anxiety disorders enjoy horror films because it's a safe place to like process fear and process anxiety. And you kind of go through and it has a beginning, middle and an end and it's controllable. And so it's like any horror that kind of allows that sort of expression, I think is extremely valuable. Or if it's just fun to get, you know, with your buddies or your friends or whatever and drink and party and have a good time around, you know, some horror film. I don't know. I think it has cultural value. But again, why? when the world is so freaking horrifying at all turns (laughs) (laughs) why must we make it is 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 the is the question i am forever in uh, search of you know why do we listen to a sad song when we're sad yeah i mean isn't that the same sort of same sort of thing why do we put on i try why do we put on i try when we're we're feeling sad that's That's exactly why do i want you how can you This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Not Afraid off the Punchline album, Action. 
check out the band at punchlion.com. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. You choose to hide and try to act like you are fine But all the while that's not your style at all Like robot names in Rocky IV Makes no sense but what's for sure I can choose myself what to regret You're listening to the Geekscape Network. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.